the podcast of Odessa First Assembly. I'm so glad that you're joining us for the Seven Churches series. This series is about the seven churches in the book of Revelation. If you'd like more information about our church, you can find us at odessafirst.com or on any social media platform. I pray that you are strengthened and encouraged by today's message. Today we're going to focus in on Ephesus. I want us to pray before we get started. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for your presence, your work in this house. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open to receive your word. And Lord, I I know that even as we look at this, sometimes when we look at certain books or passages, it's daunting because of the imagery. I pray that you help us. Soften us by your spirit. Help us to understand. Illuminate your word to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, you know, some, you know, I think all, a lot of my life, for some whatever reason, I make it plural, but it's actually the book of Revelation. It's not Revelations. Um, but I, you know, so if I refer to it as Revelations, please forgive me. It's out of habit. But it is the book of Revelation. And I do want to lay a simple... Uh, Try to lay a really a simple foundation, and when you when you tackle a subject like this, it's kind of really hard sometimes not to you know try to be too I guess head knowledge and and maybe even if, if forgive the term seminary level. So I'm, I'm I'm hoping I don't do that. But and it's the very reason a couple of weeks ago and for and for this is will be the third week now. I've mentioned these words. You may not realize, but sometimes I work things in intentionally. It's not by accident. And it's to introduce you to two words. We talked about a couple of weeks ago about exegesis and eisegesis. And the reason why those two words are really important is because exegesis, it means discovering the original intended meaning. Discovering the original intended meaning. And so when we look at scripture, that's how we want to look at it. When we read our Bible, to really be able to apply it to our life, we need to know and discover the original intended meaning. Eisegesis is reading into Scripture your own ideas. It's saying, I believe this, I'm going to find it somewhere in the Bible. That is not a healthy way to look at Scripture. That is the wrong way to look at Scripture. And so to accurately, to accurately understand the Bible, I mean, we do need to understand things. And it's uh, who wrote it? When did they write it? Who did they write it to? Why did they write it? And so we want to understand some of those things because if we understand those simple things, we're able to um, apply it to our life. And here's where I want to begin. Here's the first fill in, is that God's word can never mean what it was never meant to mean. God's word can never mean what it was meant to mean. And what do I mean by that? There's a reason why so many people don't see God's promises come to fruition in their life is because they're reading into it what they want it to say instead of drawing out what Scripture actually says and what it means. And so it's very important. So the first thing I want to look at is the who, is the who of Revelation. And I want to focus in on John the Apostle being the author of Revelation. John the Apostle is the author of Revelation. And I want you to understand a few things about John. 
I want you to understand a few things about John. John is known by many names. He's known as John the Disciple. He's known as John the Beloved. He's known as John the Apostle. He's known as John the Evangelist. He's known as John the Revelator. He's known by many different names. And John, after Jesus' ascension, he lived another 60 to 65 years. Uh, Historians tell us that um, the tradition is, is that John... Uh, lived to be somewhere between 95 and 100 years old. He was the youngest of the disciples, and he lived the longest of all the disciples. As a matter of fact, the only one that wasn't martyred. They tried to martyr John. You may not realize this, but they tried to martyr John, and the Romans put him into a pot of boiling oil. And as he was in that pot of boiling oil, he still was preaching. He still preached. But God protected him. Now, this isn't in your Bible. This is just a historical record. He, and so they finally pulled him out of the oil. He was unscathed. He was not hurt. No scars. It didn't affect him at all. And so they exiled him to the island of Patmos. And so at the island of Patmos, at that place, is where... Paul, and he converted to Paul and to John when he was giving this revelation to write this letter uh, about revelation. And so a couple other things is that, you know, so this is the guy that, you know, walked with Jesus. He was a disciple. I mean, he wrote, he has a, the gospel of John. I mean, John, he wrote was actually the last of the four Gospels written. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what's called synoptic, what is synoptic Gospels. Really what that means is that they're similar. But here's how they're similar, is that they only focus in on the majority of the book on the last year of Jesus' ministry. But the book of John, he, takes the, he looks at the first two years of Jesus' ministry. And so he was the last to write of the Gospels, but he wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and of course, Revelation. But here's, I want you to process this just for a moment. And so here's John. John is a, was a member of the church in Ephesus, and his pastor was Timothy. Timothy was 10 to 15 years younger than John. Timothy was actually martyred. Um, but so here's Timothy whose spiritual father was Paul, and yet here is John the Apostle who still submitted to a pastor. The man that walked with Jesus. I mean, think about that. It, it is, the, the, the need of the local church and a shepherd is so biblically important but he was, you know, Timothy was martyred, and so, so let's talk about the where just for a moment. We, I think we have my voice coming through a projector somewhere. So they're trying to fix that. We, we couldn't find it last week, but maybe he found it. Um, so let's talk about the where for a moment. Are, are you with me? Are, you're not bored yet, are you? I hope not. So, okay. So on the screen, you're going to see a picture of modern-day Turkey. 
And there you see Romania and Russia, Georgia, Iran, Syria, Iraq. There's where Turkey is. And so all seven churches are in modern-day Turkey. And so the next screen is going to show you right there where they are. This is modern-day Turkey. This is all seven churches. This morning we're beginning with the church of Ephesus. And so this is where it's going to take place. And so the the other thing I want to bring your attention is that what type of book is Revelation? You see, when you look at Scripture, there's all kinds of genres that um, that are represented. There's poetry, there's letters, there's... Um, there's books of wisdom, there's historical books. And the book of Revelation is a combination of an apocalypse and prophecy and a composite of the seven letters. So when you look at Revelation, you know two things. Is that, yes, it's apocalyptic in nature, and it's also prophecy foretelling in nature. And both those things are very important, but, and it's also a composite of the seven churches. And I want you to remember that because we're going to kind of land on that in just a moment. But what I want to move into is that what apocalypse really means. And so when we think of the word apocalypse, what do you think of? Do you think of the end of the world? Is it, when you think about the apocalypse happening, we think of the end of the world. Did you know that's not the meaning of apocalypse? The meaning of apocalypse is to take what's covered and to uncover it. To make what's veiled unveiled. That's what apocalypse means. And so think about that for a moment. If, so when we read Revelation, I know it has all this different imagery But it wasn't written to confuse you. It was written to open up and to unveil something. The difficult is, uh, if, do y'all hear that in the back? So, if you click on the monitoring, the, the, on GarageBand will stop. So that means double tithe if you hear me twice. Uh, so, you know, I know that Revelation is full of imagery and uh, the podcast is going to be like, what is going on in there? Um, so the book was not written to create confusion. And I, I'm just going to give you a, an idea of how to read Revelation or really any part of Scripture is read it for what it says. Worry about the meanings and definitions, all of that later. If you're having a hard time understanding, just read it and read it for what it says. So why was it written? And this is important, right? Because we're, we're going to exegete here. We're going we're gonna to look at the, what the original meaning is for us. And so why was it written? It was to give unshakable hope to suffering Christians. Listen to me. What Christians, even in persecuted countries, face today pale in comparison to what the church, seven churches in modern-day Turkey faced. And I know that's a bold, bold statement, but listen to me. It was a terrible time in the... In, 80 A.D. to 100 A.D. in that time frame to a believer in the first century. And so Revelations was written to give an unshakable hope to tell these believers, listen, I know what you're facing right now. And here's how how it's all going to come to a culmination. But I, Jesus wanted them to have 
hope. Number two is this, is to encourage an unwavering holiness in a seductive culture. And I, I, I kind of want to back up and say this, listen to me. Whenever you look at Scripture and you see those promises in the Bible, you need to know that they are there to give you an unshakable hope. Listen, I know you face things, maybe on a daily basis, weekly, whatever it may be, that just really, sometimes you go through things that just shake you to the core. And the only way you're going to process or make it through it is to know where your hope stands and, and our anchor that we have in Jesus Christ. And also to understand that even though to encourage unwavering holiness in a seductive culture. Listen, uh, you, would it be fair to say, when you look at our culture as a whole, that we live in a seductive culture? So what can we draw out of the book of Revelation that we need to live with an unwavering holiness? I know in our day and age, man, we're, we, you know, we don't like that word, you know. I mean, there's a lot, I mean, for even for some people, there's a lot of hurt and damage that comes from that word of holiness. But listen to me, to live a holy life is biblical. But to be holy is not about necessarily the, the, you know, how I look, how I dress. It's a, the, Paul writes, it's a circumcision of the heart. Now, if God is doing a work on your heart, the Bible says, my favorite verse, I tell you guys all the time, right? Philippians 2.13, for it is God that works where? In you. And when God works in you, what changes? Your want to. Come on, I'm preaching really good right now. When God works in you, your want to change, how you want to live life. For it's God that works in you, the, 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 the literal scripture saying to will, but that's our want to. And then it says this, to act. And so if God's doing a work on the inside of you, what's going to change? It's going to change your desires. And when your desires change, how it's gonna, what else is going to change? It's going to change your outside. It's going to change the way that you live life. It's going to change your fruit. A third thing is to give promise of blessing to the faithful. Listen, if there is something that revelation drives home, is that we win in the end. <laughs> Revelations 1.3, blessed is the one who reads aloud these words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear, who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. A fourth thing, the reason why Revelation, what we can pull out and, and why it was written, was to refute deception inside the church. Listen, as we get into these churches, I mean, some of these churches, they face some terrible, terrible things. And we're going to talk about that. But as to refute deception, and it was also to fuel mission among the nation. It was, it was re, you know, Revelation as a whole, when you look at the book, what it was doing and in the hearts of men and women of God is really kind of a, a sealing the great commandment that what? That we go into all the world and we make disciples. That's having a really good amen. Okay. So Revelations 1, we're gonna look at two, two ver we're gonna look at one verse and then a passage. So just a few verses, but we're gonna look at Revelations 1 4. We're gonna look at Revelation. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, it actually talks about the church in Ephesus. And this is just a moment I'll tell you to remember that, about how it was to the churches, and it gives us a description of something. 
But Revelations 1-4, so we want to understand who wrote it. We talked about that. We want to understand kind of the time period where they were. We talked about that. We wanted to talk about kind of where they were at in the world. We, talk, we talked about that. But listen to this. Who is it to? John to the seven churches that are in Asia. That's where Revelation is being written to. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So this is Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And hopefully they weren't Eagles fans, but anyway. Revelations chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who hold the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I'm, I'm going to tell you what that means in just a moment. Verse 2, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not found them to be false. Verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Verse 6, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans. We're going to talk about that. We're not going to focus on them right now, but I'm going to tell you about them in, in a couple of messages. Um, verse 7, he who has a hear, let him hear, but the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers, I'll grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So, I mean, there, kind of in that verse, even with uh, Ephesus, we see a, a lot of what we've already talked about. But listen to me. Each of the churches received four things. They received four things. They received a, common, a commendation. They received a, um, hey, this is what you're doing well. They received a criticism. I mean, you remember Jesus saying, I mean, he's direct. He said, but this is what I have against you. And so those are criticism. He gives them the correction on how to um, turn around the criticism. And then he talks about comfort or a crown, the reward. And so in Revelations 2.1, we see about that this angel, the church of Ephesus, right? The words of him who hold the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the golden lampstands. Now, I'm going to reduce this down very simply. I, I don't have time to go like deep and dive into deep into each of these. But I, wanna, I, want you, I want you to have in your mind's eye what these, this imagery represents. And according to what I believe in the study that I've done, and uh, many uh, smarter than me agree with me, so... There you go. But the seven stars represent the pastor. The seven stars represent the pastor. And I'll tell you some of why that I believe that. The word that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John used for John the Baptist, John the Baptist was considered a messenger. The word that they used, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of what. The word they use for John the Baptist being a messenger was where we get our root word for angel. But it can mean angel or it can be messenger. And that's the word that they use for John. And so it sounds a lot. And so 
Um, another reason is, is found in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 9. John the Baptist, you know, here's a, we're getting in the revelation. And John the Baptist was going to bow and worship um, who he thought was an angel, like giving him a tour, so to speak. And, but this is how he responded. Not, not John, but the one he was following. He said, but he said to me, you must not do that. So early on, what John calls him is an angel. But really what it was was a messenger. But look at this. You must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Another reason is in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. Look what it says. It'll be on the screen. It's also in your notes. But And those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And so there's a little scriptural background of why I believe that is that, and you'll see kind of how it makes sense when we look at all seven of these churches. The second thing is the seven golden lampstands, I believe, represents the church. It represents the church. What does a lampstand do? Is that it gives light. We are not the light, we hold the light. Because the light is Jesus. And so when you look at this, the stars meaning pastors or shepherds, overseers, and the church of lampstands. And so Christ commended the church at Ephesus for five things. For five things. One is they worked hard. They worked hard. I, you know, I would like to have a greater context for what that means. But, I mean, it's what Jesus said. You work hard hard. Listen to me. We know that we do not earn our salvation through works. Our salvation is a gift. But I'm going to tell you, once you come into the kingdom, it's work. It's work. It means you got to jump into this thing. You got to be all in. You just can't try it out. You just can't kind of hang out. And I know so many in our church today and, and not I'm, I'm talking Big C Church, where, whichever direction that is, is that so many just want to do their hour and a half thing on Sunday and that's it. That's not what the church is. It's working hard. Matter of fact, the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Does you remember that verse? Work out your salvation with trembling. The literal, what is, I know I've said this many times, but when it's saying work out your salvation, the imagery and the Greek, uh, you know, the people of that day, you know, they're, they're hearing that and they understood exactly what it meant. We have a hard time understanding, work out my salvation. What do you mean by that? Well, it meant to, as a farmer is working his field, you're to work your salvation. I mean, when a farmer works a field, I mean, does he just let it go? No, what does he do? He breaks up the ground. He plows the ground. He sows the seed. He irrigates it. He fertilizes it. He takes care of the weeds. He comes in and harvests. I mean, it takes work to be a farmer. The second thing is persevering. Persevering. He commends them for being persevering. I mean, what is James? You may remember what James tells us. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
listen, you're not going to live this life and your faith not get tested. And when it gets tested, what is that doing? It's producing in us a perseverance. The third thing he commended them for was resisting sin. And I, I just want to take a moment, just really quick, and just remind you to be tempted is not sin. You should not be, if you feel condemnation for feeling tempted, that's the enemy that is not from God. Temptation is not sin. Sin is, now if I go through with the temptation, what have I done? I have sinned. And so Jesus commends the Ephesian church. He says, you have resisted sin. And we do, I mean, Jesus told us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Uh, J, uh, James, or Peter, Peter told us, resist the devil and he'll flee. Is that Peter? I think so. Don't, James, thank you, somebody out there. Was that my wife? Yeah, Bible, Bible quiz lady back there. Um, the fourth thing is this, critically examine the claims of false prophets. Oh man, I could do a whole sermon just on that one right there. I'm gonna tell you, I know and you, you may be tired, sick and sick and sick and tired of hearing this. But I'm gonna tell you, do I think, and I, I, do, I wanna be cautious in what I say. Do I think a lot of the personalities and people and things that we see on Christian television are, are, are living out and doing and it's a worthy cause and needed Absolutely, but I'm going to tell you something, church. How do I say this? Be cautious of celebrities, celebrity Christians and celebrity personalities. And I, I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to go through that whole list or anything like that. But I, I and and it's not just because you know I'm uh, you know I'm not I'm not that status. And I I want to be <laughs> I want to tread very carefully. But, I mean, we have ministers whose ministries are bringing in 30, 40, 50 million dollars a year. I, I'm not saying I have an issue with that, but I'm going to tell you what we're, what, what, even what we're going to see more and more and more is the fall of the celebrity minister. I, I do. I, I think you can write that down. I, I don't wish that for any of them. Not one of them. And there's many that I like, there's many that I follow, there's many I think godly and, and do godly things and things of that nature. But listen to me, us as believers, don't take everything hook, line, and sinker. Don't take everything hook, line, and sinker. There's a scripture about the Brians of scripture that they search the scriptures daily. Listen, whenever you hear something, when you hear me say something, check what I say what the Bible says. Number five is this, enduring patiently and bearing up without becoming weary. It, the power of that statement is found in the persecution they were facing. If you really understood the persecution they were facing, and Jesus says, I commend you for enduring patiently. And so, but then came the criticism about Ephesus. Revelations chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But I have this against you. You've, you've done all of these things right. You've, there, there's, here's a list of five things you've done right. 
but here's what I have against you. I'm going to tell you, if I ever heard the Spirit of the Lord, would that get your attention? Oh, yeah, you're doing a good job over here, Todd. But here's what I got against you. I bear, you know, what we better do is listen up. <laughs> but I have this against you that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you're from a fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I'll come, I'll remove, I'll remove that light. Remember, the church is the light. I'm going to remove that light unless you repent. And so we know that Ephesus had forsaken its first love. So many have heard this over and over and over and over. And we, we don't know exactly what that may have been. That can have been love for one another. I mean, we know, I mean, what's, I mean, what does scripture tell us? Love the Lord God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so what we do know is that that love they lost, it was one of those two things. Either they had lost a, a passion for the Lord, because that's the next thing, their devotion to Jesus. I mean, they were working hard, they were doing all these things right, but were they still in love with Jesus? Were they still loving one another? We don't 100% know the answer to that, but what he says is in verse 5, and do the works you did at first. And that really just kind of leaps out at me, Revelation 2, 5, and do the works you did at first. And so I want to encourage you this morning is this, and this is kind of, we're finally kind of getting to the meat of this, but it's going to happen really quick, so don't worry about the time. We're going to be okay. And so what are the works you did at first? And here's the first thing that came to my mind was worship. First things first is worship. Psalm 84, 2 says, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy for the living God. Listen, do you remember the day you got saved? Do you remember that moment? Listen, I remember that moment. I remember that night, February 1994, when I got, I mean, when I, I mean, I had gotten saved a hundred times before. Amen. Okay, I'm, I'm just like you, some of y'all. I, you know, I had tried so many times before. I had given up so many times. But I remember that night when it all came to a head and I finally surrendered and said, okay, Lord. I'm tired of running. Here I am. And I remember that night, I'll never forget what it felt like. How light I was. How clean. Do you know what it feels like to feel clean? I mean, on the inside. I mean, all that anxiety, all that worry, all that... My sins are going to find me. I mean, all of that just removed and washed and cleansed. Do you remember that? that? The first thing I want to do was tell everybody close to me what happened to me in my life. All that's a life and an act of worship. But I'm going to tell you, church, when you, you may be doing a lot of things right you may be living and working hard. You may be resisting sin. You may be, you may be doing all, you may be searching the scriptures to know the word of God. But listen to me. There is also a love relationship between us and Jesus. 
Uh, There is a love relationship between us. Yes, he's master, he's savior, he's Lord. But we, he wants us to experience the embrace of his love. And if you have lost that, it's something that ignites on the inside of you. Maybe we need to renew our awe for God. Renew our awe for God. The second thing is the word. Get back to what you did before. I remember, man, 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 when I first got saved. As I, I mean, I had an unquenchable appetite for God's word. I mean, I read and I read and I read and I read. And I, I haven't been, I even, I even told my family this. I, I was having a conversation last week at district celebration with somebody, but I really haven't said nothing about this. And, and I, I don't say this this morning that, you know, like pat me on the back or anything like that. But coming into this year, I really felt that I really needed to devote a lot of time in God's word. I love reading and uh, I, I love reading books and all those things, but I made a commitment this year. Have I done it every single day? No, no, I haven't, I haven't done it every single day, but it's okay. I, you know, I, I believe in God's grace, and you just get up the next day, and you, try, you do it again. But I made a commitment that not including my prayer time, but I was going to read the Bible two hours a day. That was my commitment for this year. And so what's happened, I didn't realize how much it would affect all my other reading. But I made a commitment I was going to be in the Word two hours a day. I'm going to tell you, sometimes when we look at God's Word, uh, you know, there's so many times where we look at, his word, look at the Word and we're like, oh, I've read that before, I've read that before. You know, it's hard, it, whether it's hard or easy, I, don't, I guess it all depends on at the, the mood at the moment. But when I start reading all the begets or Leviticus or, you know, I mean, so, you know, sometimes it gets mundane. And I, I had this thought, and I know, I, you, you, well, you guys are used to me now, so this may not land for anybody else, but I was thinking, you know, how many of us, you know, when I go to a restaurant, I know exactly what I'm going to order. Now, Angela thinks she's always going to order something different. She's going to try something new. I'm going to tell you, she never does. She always goes back to what she always gets. Me, I know. I know that if I go to Rosa's, I'm going to get... I'm going to get sour cream enchiladas with added green sauce on top. That's what I get every time. I know that if I go to, uh, uh, my, well, my new thing, if I go to Mama Cita's over here, you may have been there. that's a good place. They should pay me money for this. <laughs> I, I'm going to get fajitas. Their beef fajitas are the bomb. I know that if I go to Cane's, I'm going to get chicken fingers. Duh. Some of you will catch that. <laughs> I mean, I get the same thing from the same restaurant, maybe not always healthy, but it's still sustenance. God's word is sustenance to you. And you may have read the same thing over and over and over and over. I'm going to tell you, read it again. I mean, when you look at what God's word says about itself, Psalm 119.11, you can really read the whole Psalms or Psalms 119. 
I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Verse 34, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Verse 47, I find delight in your commandments, which I love. Verse 167, my soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. And there's so many other good verses in Psalm 119. Listen to me. You need to get in God's word because in God's word, God has a word for you. In God's word, God has a word for you. I had a conversation with somebody just recently. And if you don't know me, many times God has used me in in words of knowledge and words of wisdom um, through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I will have people call me and say, Todd, I need a word. PT, I need a word. Pastor, I need a word. You know what I tell them? I'm not a slot machine. Read your Bible. That's what I tell them. Read your Bible. God has a word for you. So many times we look for what man has to tell us because we don't want to hear what God's word says to us. God has a word for you. Listen to me. It will surprise you where you find the word. I have, I mean, when I've read God's word, and I'm looking at it, and then it's something, you ever had it? And it just leaps out at you, and it just hits in your heart, and you're like, you know that that word was for you. The third thing is mission, and this is where I close. Do the first things first. I've been praying about this. I've been praying coming out of the last two years, and, and where we're headed, and what God is doing, and and I believe that this is a personal responsibility, but I want to remind you who our church is. Because just like we need to go back and did the things we've done at first, we as a body of believers need to do that as well. I want to remind you of our mission. Do you know what our mission is? Our mission is to love God, to love people, and to grow together. To love God, it's very simple, love God, love people, and grow together. We want to love God, love people, and grow together. And that expresses itself in so many different ways. And so let's be the church that lives up to that mission. Amen? That we love God, we love people, and we grow together in Christ. And so what we also want to do is that we want to lead people to become disciples that are leading people to be disciples. We need to be a church that is disciples reproducing disciples. It's the, listen, if we're going to reach the city, if we're going to impact the Permian Basin, if we're going to reach out and be the light into the world, it's just not about just having a lot of conversions, but it's disciples making disciples. I'm preaching really good right now. And so how do we do this? You're gonna, I'm going to just look at this, reach something very quickly. And you're going you're gonna to hear, see, we have values that I, I feel like this. And through the years that I've been here, I've, I've taken traditionally what this church has held, and I've tried to express it in maybe even a new, new ways, different ways. But it's important. Our values is like what we pound, what makes us passionate. Like it's, what, it's what gets our blood boiling. It's what moves us. And the first one is, is that found people find people. I told somebody just yesterday at the, at the hours at the park, I said, you know, all we are is just 
beggars. It, it, it's not original to me. It's a quote from um, uh, someone in the faith long before us, but that we're just beggars telling other beggars where to get bread. Do you hear me? And so what our church needs to be about is about lost people. The passion to see people reconciled to Christ needs to burn within us. Sharing Christ, what's done in us. Growing people change. Taking from people from where they are to where God wants them to be. Listen, where you are right now is not exactly where God wants you. They're still growing to do. And growing people change. Save people, serve. Listen, if we're ever going to break the 200 barrier, it's going to take you. It's not me. It's not our worship team. It's us. And we, of course, you, you, if there's one you're familiar with, is that we live life together. That we just don't want to be a friendly place, but we want to be a family. You can't do life alone. We want to embrace diversity. Don did such a wonderful job opening. Thanks, man. And, and it's important that we do acknowledge Juneteenth and what it represents. Just like we acknowledge Fourth of July. Just as long as you know, we use Cinco de Mayo to acknowledge Hispanic culture. It's important for those things. But not just nationalities and cultures, but generations. And we believe in a spirit-led living. We want to experience Pentecost in this church. I want to ask you to stand this morning. Thank you for joining us for our podcast. Again, if you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at odessafirst.com or on any social media platform. I hope that you are encouraged through today's message and that you'll join us again.